now move into God's word. I have to start with um, laughing at myself because we have Brooke up here. I try to get everybody all excited about giving to her mission and generosity. And then I say how I'm really bad for always asking. And then I forgot to invite our ushers to receive the offering. That's how bad I am <laughs> at asking. I forget the offering. So you give, please. You know what? Let me just say this, actually. Thank you for giving. I don't get to do what I do without your generosity as giving to God as an act of worship. Um, I don't get paid. We have a couple part-time staff. We have these resources, and we're now able to move forward in mission. So thank you for your generosity. And, of course, I do encourage you to continue to give generously and to give as worship to God so this mission can move forward. So give your gifts online, give them <laughs> over at the welcome table after the service. You'll figure out a way you guys always do because I always seem to forget. Hey, uh, we've, got, uh, um, we've got a lot going on in the coming uh, days and the coming weeks ahead as we uh, lean into the fall. And I do want to just swing back around to say uh, another thing that's happening next Sunday is I'm just putting out the first call for getting organized for our connection group. So after the worship service, if you want to lead a connection group, or if you're thinking about being a part of one, we're going to have a little gathering. I'm going to have a handbook, and we're going to walk you through what our launch of groups is going to look like, how we're going to have a bunch out in the community in people's homes and some meeting here on our campus and trying to give many people uh, an opportunity to, again, get into their circle, their group of people to do life together with. Okay, well, we need to move into today's service. We need to continue on our Exodus story. And because we've got a lot of material to cover, I'm going to come in hot. And here it is. The Exodus story teaches us this spiritual principle. This has been dealt with now for nine weeks. This is kind of an overarching trajectory of this story, uh, a, a revelation for us to spend some time pondering and thinking about. And it is this simple, yet we could say this profound. The thing that we once escaped to can become the thing that we're trying to escape from. Let's let that sink in for a moment. That thing that we were using to find escape from, that thing, that person, that possession, that practice, that, that thing that we were, thought we were going to find relief, or release in uh, that we we're going to find so life-giving that we thought was going to you know solve all the problems of our lives and bring us the joy and the hope that we always wanted for that thing that we are so, so trying so desperately to get to can turn on us and become that thing that we are desperately trying to escape from here's where you could preach the sermon of course because you've lived this i've lived this all of us to different degrees and to some people horrible degrees of course have found this to be the experience and of course now i'm just going to sound like a preacher but a preacher's got to preach sometimes we know this sometimes that you know that bottle that pill that puff whatever they're calling it these days i won't even try to use slang that thing that we thought would give us release some comfort some peace some numbness it, it becomes our prison and it traps us, and addiction gets, the, gets a hold of us, and it's got a chokehold on us, and we would give anything to be set free of it. And as I'm saying this, I'm guessing all of us can have somebody in mind that we are praying for right now if they would be freed from that prison. All of us have had that experience of, e e even in ways that has 
are shocking to us. We pray desperately for this door to open, for this job, you know, to be given to us, or maybe to get into the school or this program. And now it's become a prison to us, and we're praying to get out of it. God, God show, give me a back door now, God. Give me a way out. Give me a way through this. Why did I ever want this? Why did I ever think this is going to be what, what I needed? And, and it becomes this prison for us, right? It happens, you know, with chemicals. It happens, it happens with our possessions. If I can just own this thing, then I'm going to be happy. And yet the thing, the bills hanging over us, <laughs> they begin to possess us. P- perhaps, you know, more than any other area, we'll find this in relationships. We'll find this in the area of relationships. That we think this relationship is going to kind of be our salvation, and yet it becomes the relationship that we're trying so desperately maybe to get out of. I I can think of one occasion in in particular. Um, Two individuals that I had the joy of getting to know and doing life with, and um, both of them uh, sadly went through divorces. They they, they had very uh, messy marriages, and they had even messier divorces, and anybody who's been through that knows that is an awful thing to have to endure and to have to go through. And and then yet they, they, they found each other, but I knew you know, you just knew, you know, I mean, we've all been there, like, you can see it, and they can't, by the way, that happens to us, people see things in us that we can't see sometimes, and I could see the scars in their life, I could see their desire for companionship, their longing for connection, I, you know, of course, we could see all this, but finally, it kind of comes to this point, and they come to me, and, you know, you know, we think we, we think we want to get married, and, and I, I just had to say to them, so I had this conversation, I said, what's, what's worse, you know, low, you, you know, single and hopeful or married and miserable. <laughs> and they're like, married and miserable is worse. <laughs> I'm like, right, yeah, it, it's, it's worse. It's worse. Are you going to make yourselves married and miserable? No, 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 no. Yes, 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 yes. Down the line, married and miserable. That thing that we put all of these expectations for, for, for hope, for relief, for connection, for meaning, for purpose, ultimately for salvation, save me, can become the thing that ensnares us, that imprisons us, that we are praying for exodus from, right? And, and that's, again, this overarching theme of, of what, what's happening here, is that there was a season when God was able to use Egypt for salvation, for the people of God. But now, several generations later, it becomes the place that they need escape from. There came the time when in the movement of God's plan and his, and his course of redemption history that he took this young man named Joseph and, and through awful events that conspired in his own life, through his own imprisonment, imprisonment through his own, in a sense, we would say exodus from the promised land into Egypt, he, he flipped that script in, in an amazing way and then was able to use him for saving his family, which ultimately then led to the fulfilling of this promise of being fruitful and multiplying so that some 400 years later they actually become this nation that God had promised they would become. But now they need exodus. They need escape. The place that once saved them becomes the place that they need escape from. They've become their captors, their imprisonment. They need this this exodus story. And today, we move into this final chapter of the deliverance stage. It's taken us nine weeks to get here. There's two more movements after this. We're not going to spend 18 weeks going through them. We're going to wrap this up before the the summer's over. Um, 
but when we come to this, we're coming to the conclusion of this deliverance part. Remember, we had divine deliverance. That's the part we know best about the story. We're going to talk a little bit about divine decrees starting next week, the commands of how now we live with God once he sets us free and brings us into new life. And then the Exodus story ends with this long, long, long passage, you know, several chapters on the divine dwelling uh, of God. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on that, but the spiritual truth of that, I pray, will impact us very deeply that God is very serious about making his dwelling place with his people. So we're going to end there. But, but this is the fun part of the story, and this is the part of the story that you know, a lot of people think about when we talk about the Exodus, because today we're getting to the crossing through the Red Sea, right? I mean, this is, what we, this is what we see pictures of, we see cartoons about, you know, we can remember if we've seen the Ten Commandments or, uh, or the Prince of Egypt, the, these very dramatic enactments of the passing through the Red Sea. But what I want you to understand now more, more deeply is that there's symbolism, some deep symbolism all, all over this. In, in the creation story, we hear that the Spirit of God was hovering over the chaos, and, and by the work of the Spirit, order of creation came through. And when we get to the Exodus story, the people are living in this chaos of captivity and this imprisonment, and God is going to bring them out and reorder their lives around his worship and obeying his decrees and dwelling with him. And this becomes a deep symbolism for us as we pass through the waters of our baptism, which we are encouraged to do as the people of God when we make a faith commitment to Jesus Christ to make a public testimony or witness of that and to be baptized. And God, what, what we're sort of symbolizing and showing is we pass through the waters of baptism. God is bringing order out of the chaos of our lives. Thank you, God, for ordering my life now around you. I will worship you. I will honor you. I will obey you. I will give my life to you. It goes deeper than that. There's this deep symbolism that as God is working in creation, it says that he separated the waters from the land. And of course, in the Exodus story, we will see now the little separation of the Red Sea waters from the land. And the people of God are going to pass through on dry land. And also then in baptism, we don't stay wet forever, right? We go in, we come out, and when we come out, then we have become separated in a good way. God says, I now claim you as my own. I've separated you. I have set you apart. You are marked. You are mine. I know you. I want you to know me. I want you to live for me. And we embrace that as the people of God. The symbolism, you know, yet goes even deeper. God keeps pushing us and pushing us through. It says that in the, in the creation story that God breathed life into the first man and the first woman, into Adam and Eve, his ruah, his breath came into the materials of creation and yet brought this life and even the spirit of God would become the image bearers. And what we're going to read in the Red Sea story is, of course, that God sends this ruah again, this wind, this breath again, and he separates the waters, which allows them to pass through to the new life. And so for us in baptism, we believe that God breathes new life to us as we go through this symbolic sign of grounding of the old life and rising to this new life. And we are born again, new creations in him. So again, all of this God is using to pull us into the story of our exodus, our passing through the Red Sea, our passing through waters of baptism into the promises that he has made for us. And so now, without any further ado, let's get into the story. What we're going to do today is we're going to kind of read some snippets and start breaking it down, read a snippet and break it down. In the end, we pray, of course, that this Red Sea story will become 
our story and the story of our exodus as we move through with God to become more and more his people. So let me pick up here. Uh, team, what are we going to do? We're going to go to 13, start here in verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. Just tell you got to love the honesty and the transparency of God and the word of God sometime. It would have been an easier route to go that way. It was shorter. But God said, if they faced war, they might change their mind and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Let's stop right there. You see, this is why we let the kids go before we get into the message. See, the kids are going to go, and they might hear a Red Sea story that says, you know, you know, God you know, brought his people to the Red Sea and provided the wind and, and made a miracle, and he brought them through. But now we get to go a little bit deeper, right, because we're grown up. So are we ready to handle the deeper truths and <laughs> revelation of God's word here? God sets us up sometimes. Did you know that sometimes God is setting you up? <laughs> He's setting you up. He's setting you up for his glory and ultimately for our gain. God has this insight. You know, this is a nation, and, and they have this mentality of slavery. They've been beaten down, imprisoned, chained up, forced to make these bricks for generation now after generation. They aren't ready for battle. And we think this is kind of like this, this kind of like mercy from God's grace. Oh, I won't send them into Philistine country. That battle would be too much for them. But what we're about to find is he's setting them up for something even more dramatic. <laughs> I'm going to reroute them through the ocean drive here. I can, you can just sort of imagine them. Oh, like this is great. You know, we're taking the, the, the scenic route, the ocean cruise here, <laughs> all these great views, until it's going to lead sort of this, this point of, of, of no return god is setting them up he's setting them up for a fight but he's setting them up for his fight earlier in the exodus story we talked about the detour you know a detour isn't in our control we talked about going into kind of this land between and that's when we make decisions you can go back and listen to that message but God starts all this with a detour. They're cruising towards the promise that God had given to them, and it seems that this whole time in Exodus becomes this detour because God had to do something deeper in them. And we're seeing that dynamic again. God is rerouting them. God is taking ownership. God is taking control. Some people really resonate with that. Some people really like that. Sometimes we shake our fist at that. But this story is emphasizing numerous times and in numerous ways, God is taking control of fulfilling his promise and fulfilling his promise in his time and in his way. And God says, I'm going to fulfill this promise to you, so I'm going to set you up, <laughs> my people. I'm going to set you up for my glory and ultimately your gain. I'm going to set you up and I'm going to detour you on this little path. And, and, and really, you know, they're going to be stuck in this, we call it proverbial, this between a rock and a hard place. They're going to be between an ocean and an army. And you're going to see my hand then at work. So here's what happens. Before I read the next part, let's just kind of get caught up. The Passover has happened. Pharaoh has lost his eldest. 
The nation of Egypt has lost the eldest born, the firstborn males. They've cried out in grief and in, in, their, in their sorrow and their remorse. Then it would seem that perhaps they're even going to repent now and tell the people of God to go. But then we see this hardening of Pharaoh's heart again. And what's happening then is God reroutes them. And I encourage you, of course, as always, to read the story for yourself in chapter 14. God even gives them this insight. He says, as I reroute the people, Pharaoh's going to think they're confused. And they're wondering. They don't know what they're doing. I, God, God, of course, says, I know what I'm doing. He says, but Pharaoh's going to think that they're confused. He's going to change his mind. Then he's going to send his chariots and his army out back after them. So you read that he sends like his 600 best chariots and more, all of them with these ambassadors, with these officers, and this entire army is now hot on the heels of the people of God. They've been rerouted, and now they're stuck between the army and the ocean, the Red Sea. And let's pick up the story here, here at uh, 14. We'll start at verse, verse 10 then. And fa- as Pharaoh approached, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, which again is kind of this interesting. Like two, like two million people are like, "What?" You know, like as they all of a sudden, two on two million people realize, "Wait a second, what's happened? Where has God routed us? What is about to unfold here?" The Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. And you know, up until then, this is great. We're out. We got silver, even we got gold. Pharaoh told us to leave. We're going to the promised land. We're going by this ocean crew. Wait, what? Oh, no, we're stuck. There's an army breathing down our neck, and we're stuck in an ocean. They were terrified. Oh, man, th- I mean, things change so fast. And they become terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt? That you brought us to the desert to die. I mean, talk about, I mean, (laughs) that is quite a statement. Was it because there's no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you, and they just turn here. And they just turn. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians. The answer, by the way, no, they didn't. They said, set us free. They said, we want to go. They said, God, deliver us. And now like, no, no, I think actually we said we want to stay. I, I mean, like, so here, let me finish this out here. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. It, it's unbelievable how people respond to situations in life. And can I tell you, how unbelievably I respond to life. We had a sports camp this past week, and it was awesome. We had kids running around here. We brought in the staff from uh, Uncharted Waters Ministries. We had this great week. We were touching lives. And and one of my favorite things to do is to start my day with a bike ride to church. And so I have to get an early start and, you know, get here to get things set up. And I took my bike in, the one that I used to get here, because, uh, of course, I have to have, like, five bikes, because, you know, who doesn't have to have a lot of bikes? So I get my single speed all fixed up, and uh, they did an awesome job. 25 bucks, they put a new chain on, they lined up. I was like, whoa, you guys did, like, a ton of stuff. Like, thanks for hooking me up. I get it all set up, and, they, and I get my bike back, and this is, on, this is on Thursday. And I'm so excited to have my, you know, to have my bike that I like to commute on back. And uh, I'm about a mile into my ride uh, here from my house. And I, and I get a flat tire. 
and I pull over off of the side, off the road, and I pull over, and I literally said, I audibly said this, I hate my life, why does this happen to me? Your, your pastor, a man of God, a husband of 22 years, a father of three, a man, I literally said, I hate my life, why does this happen? And you know what the truth of the matter is in that moment? I felt that. I felt like I had this awful life. You know, I, I felt like, why does the world conspire against me? Why, you know, have you, have you been shocked at your capacity <laughs> to have a pity party? <laughs> I know I have. I mean, I know I have. So there's this one level where I read this, and standing afar, I'm like, oh my God. No, you didn't say leave us alone. You said set us free. You didn't say we want to die in Egypt. You said we want to go. <laughs> thankfully, thankfully, on a humbling walk home, you know, I'm, I'm walking back, you know, the mile to my house. At this point, I'm realizing I'm going to have to take my car to work. Oh, I have a car. <laughs> I guess my life isn't so bad. Oh, I have to take my car to my job where I get paid to serve God. Maybe, maybe I don't hate my life. Oh, and you know, in a couple minutes, I'm going to be working with people serving kids in our community. We're going to have an awesome time. You know what? I th God, I think I need to take that back. I don't hate my life. <laughs> the world isn't conspiring against me. Things don't always work out as I think they should work out. But I'm going to trust that things will work out as you have planned. And I will trust that for your glory and ultimately for my growth and my gain, I will trust in you. God is bringing his people ultimately to a deeper level and understanding of trusting in him. And he is about his glory, the fulfillment of his promises, and the growth and the gain of his people. And so they have this dramatic pity party. <laughs> they, they say that they'd rather have died in Egypt. But then finally, we see that faith is going to move them forward. But this is what Moses says. I love this part here, picking up there in verse 13. So Moses answered this people, and this is the most often repeated command in Scripture. Remember this. This is the command that is always coming to us. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. This is not about the people. This is not about Moses. This is about God fulfilling his promise, holding to his word. It's building our trust in his word. He will always fulfill his word. The Lord, you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry land. I love this. I love this. This verse, I'm seeing it everywhere. I've been seeing it, you know, kind of on bumper stickers and on these pop-ups on the screen. You, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And to that 
I respond yes. There are many times, there are many situations where the correct response is the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. But I have to love, I, I just love God's response to this because this is Moses speaking. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. But did you catch what God's response is? Why are you crying out? Why are you being still? <laughs> Quit being still. Go. I've already told you what to do. I, I love how God, you know, just, just says, no, actually, don't be still at all. You know exactly what you're supposed to do. You are to go. Now, we have to have some level of sympathy. It's kind of like, well, how are we going to go here, God? But, but there's a truth here that, that we sometimes stand around kind of, you know, in this posture of prayer, again, which is awesome, being still, which at times we need to do, but we can become incapacitated, or, or the mission of God just stops if we're always just being still. God has not called us to be still all the time. There's a time when we are to go, and this is the time for the people of God to go, and we as the people, we as the church now, are a sent people. And, and this, uh, and I say this just because it saddens me. It saddens me that people are always wanting, in a sense, more revelation, bonus material from God, more insight. More, we have been given our marching orders. We have been given our instructions. We have been given all that we stand in need of to do all that God has called us to do. We are a people that are already sent. We need not be still. The commission of God for us is to go, Right? The commission of God is us to go, to go and make disciples of all nations, to be disciples making disciples, to go and to teach them to obey everything God has commanded us, to go and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to go and to trust that it is in the going that God is with us. It is in the going that Jesus is with us ever and always to the very end of the age. Friends, the encouragement that we have now that they had back then is that they have been given their orders to go, and they need not be still. They were a sent people in mission. And you have all that you need to do all that you are called. And this is where faith comes in, to trust that you have all the resources you need to do all that God calls you to do. I encourage you, in the coming week, or the rest of your lives, to make a part of your routine of prayer, each and every day, each and every day, to say, God... I have all that I need to do all that you're calling me to do today. Everything that I am called to do, every place that I'm called to go, every person I'm called to bless, every, every word that I'm called to say and to share, I already have at my disposal because, God, you don't call me to go somewhere without equipping me with all that I stand in need of. And if you need more, you'll get more. If you need additional resources for tomorrow, God will give you those additional resources for tomorrow. If you need to be in a different place down the line, God will get you to that place. Part of faith is trusting that God gives us what we stand in need of today, right here, right now, to do what we are called to do, and whatever we are called to do tomorrow and next week and in the years to come and in the deeper seasons of our lives, he will equip us for it. He has given them all that they need to do. And so then he says to Moses, of course, going back to where this started with Moses, what's in your hand? This staff. Raise it. Raise it high, and the waters will part. 
And then here's where the dramatic story begins to unfold. He raises the staff. God sends the wind. The waters part. There's a wall of water on each side. The people pass through on dry ground. There's a lot more to the story, a lot of little details. We, we have to kind of just, just kind of push on through. He kind of moves the pillar that has been guiding them, and it goes behind them, so it blocks the army of Pharaoh so that they can pass through safely. Then Pharaoh, we have to understand that Pharaoh and this army is kind of in their audacity as they see the power of God being displayed, yet they go in as if they are under the protection of God. They go in, and the waters come crashing down, and the army is wiped out. And then let's end here with verse 31. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. So, we've experienced in our own lives that sometimes the thing that we once escaped to becomes the thing that we need escape from. The thing that we're looking for freedom in becomes the thing that imprisons us, and we call out to God for deliverance. And in his grace, he brings it to us so often. We know that sometimes God sets us up. God sometimes sets us up in ways that we would not have asked or imagined, but ultimately he's doing it for his glory and for his gain. And faith is moving forward and trusting that God is setting us up, ultimately, for greater good and for the fulfillment of his plans. Trusting that those things where we feel that we have been set up are actually setting us up for God's greater glory but the overarching lesson of this that strikes me this past week, and I need to dig down a little bit into this for our last few minutes together, is that ultimately what I think is revealed for us in this, what God has impressed upon me, and there's many spiritual lessons that we pull from this, many revelations in this narrative uh, that, that we can emphasize, but, but what has been kind of pressing in on me is that we've been called to a dangerous faith. We've been called to a very dangerous faith. Now, we could put it this way theologically. Is it more dangerous to be in the will of God or out of the will of God? And theologically, we could answer that very easily. Well, of course it's more dangerous to be out of the will of God than in the will of God. The most dangerous place to be in all of our lives would be to be outside of the will of God, to willingly, kind of knowingly go against where God is calling us, sending us, pushing us, preparing the way for us, and to resist that, to fight that, to urge that. And yet in the story, we see that Pharaoh seems to be the dangerous one. He's the one with the army. He's the one with the chariot. He's the one with the, the power. But his is the life that is in danger. His is the nation that is in danger. His is the army that is in danger. It is the people of God. It is this humble nation of Hebrew slaves. It is this shepherd named Moses who seemed to have all of the real authority one, one preacher put it this way that you know you know pharaoh had all of the power but moses had the authority 
Egypt seemed to have all the power, but the people of God had the authority of God, and the authority of God, God was going to bring them through, and that made them very, very dangerous. I think that God likes us to be praying for a dangerous faith, for ours to be a dangerous faith, a faith that is willing to send us to dangerous places and to do dangerous things, to do audacious things, to do bold things, dangerous things for his greater glory. Moses is the real danger to the nation. And Jesus picks up on this. Jesus stands before Pilate in his last hours on earth. Pilate has all of the power, but Jesus has all of the authority. Pilate thinks he has the power to crucify Jesus, but Jesus says, you have no power except that that which is given for you. You're not taking my life. I'm laying it down. Pharaoh thought he had all the power, but Moses had the authority of God. Pilate thought he had all the power, but Jesus had the authority and the plan of God to fulfill. And we pick up on this in the theme of our lives. Jesus calls us to be salt and to be light. The darkness has no power over light. We think the dark is so oppressive that you go into a dark room and you have one match and you light it up and the darkness has to flee. The light is always dangerous to the darkness. Amen, friends? driving towards the end so this is where you can start to get excited a little bit here about god's word and what he's doing in us the darkness has to flee when we live as the people of light salt has all of the power salt is dangerous to decay right salt is dangerous to decay we know scientifically it's bacteria and it's starting to break down the meat but you put salt on that and the salt becomes dangerous to decay it arrests death like we just sang it arrests the decay and preservation begins to happen we as a people become dangerous to the forces of darkness we as a people become dangerous in our faith in god so i'll invite the band to come forward and they're going to get ready to take us out with a little more worship and as we worship god now let us reflect on the story of the exodus that god is bringing us through bringing us out of our captivity and it is the freedom of faith and following him. And it is a faith that sets us free from all fear when we begin to understand that all authority, all authority rests with our God and all authority rests with us. And instead of praying for travel mercies on our way home, I love those prayers, by the way. I remember that, you know, with my parents heading off to college. My mother always say, let's pray for traveling mercies, which is beautiful, which is great. <laughs> pray for God's protection as we go. Pray for traveling mercies on our kids as they head off. Pray for traveling mercies on our spouses as they head off. Pray, pray traveling mercies on us. But let's flip that script this coming week or the coming rest of our lives. Let's pray for a dangerous faith to go forward and say, we don't need traveling. Now, now here's where I got to kind of preach it for just a moment. You know, we, we, don't, we don't need the traveling mercies because all authority is going with us. The darkness is going to need to beg for mercy when we show up. Death is going to need to beg for mercy when we show up as the people of God. All the force of darkness, evil, is going to need to beg for mercy when we show up because we bring with us the authority of God, the ability to be the light that drives out darkness, salt that drives out death. We bring all of the authority with us. So let's go and pray in the power that we don't need traveling mercies, but that the forces of evil and darkness, of oppression, of injustice, 
metaphorically would say, the forces of Egypt, of Pharaoh that seek to oppress, to kill, to destroy, to imprison, to hold captive, are driven out as we move forward with a dangerous faith in the authority of God. Let's pray and let's worship. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this story of the Exodus. And especially now when we come to the story of this being brought through the Red Sea and what this meant for your plan of redemption, that you were bringing your people out of captivity and bringing them in to freedom in you and into life with you. And we're going to see how that life gets ordered around your decrees and around your dwelling with the people of God. I thank you, now jumping all the way ahead, that you've fulfilled these promises to us, that you bring us out of captivity to sin and to death. You bring us into the glorious life and freedom of your salvation, Lord Jesus Christ. And as we move forward now in faith with you, set us free from all fear that will hold us back. Move us forward in faith, and may we move forward with a gloriously dangerous faith that drives out all oppression, all injustice, all imprisonment, all fears. Let us live gloriously as your people in this wonderful, dangerous faith that you call us to live. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's worship.